0: This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for
1: your support. Now, here's your show. issue team spoilers assembles from the far corners of the continent for action daredevil returns to our tv sets ashley returns for nycc and marvel returns to form by planning the next giant crossover before the last one's even finished we'll find our bunks put on some bug spray and take a look at the first volume of lumberjanes plus a slate of news reviews and the kick butt poll of the week so hang your food from a tree check your bag for spiders and don't forget to bear your leavings because the major spoilers podcast is over the river through the woods and on the air
0: Welcome to issue 646 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing this episode with a friend. Thank you to all of our VIPs for making this episode happen. Thank you to Rodrigo for being here, Matthew for being here, and Ashley for being here. It's a uh, pretty busy week here at Major Spoilers. We just got wrapped up with the New York Comic Con. Mm
2: -hmm. Ashley, you were able to go. I was.
0: What were some of the, give us a rundown of what you uh, did and saw and all the cool things at New York Comic Con.
2: Uh, New York Comic Con is full of people and not enough space. That is how I would sum it up. Um, I saw a lot of really cool things. I saw that like nine and a half foot tall oh, um, the, Hulkbuster armor yeah, guy. Yeah,
0: that was really cool.
2: Uh, He slowed up traffic every single time, making him less cool as I progressively saw <laughs> throughout the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't get to see the Marvels TV stuff, but I know that they were there and everybody went crazy for that. Uh, I know they tried it out like uh, Daredevil and they showed the Jessica Jones pilot.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I saw Robert Kirkman from afar. Many
0: Kirk
2: times. He man. had giant Burn. cubes to like, sign his stuff. Wow. So. Um, I saw Tom Lyle, who drew Tim Drake, and that was really cool. He was mm-hmm. super nice. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did I see? I saw Jason's panel that he hosted.
0: Yeah, which one did he host?
2: Uh, it was supposed to be a bunch of DC artists, and then they were going to take suggestions and draw. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but only uh, Gustavo Duarte, the artist on Bizarro showed up. So it was just like the Gustavo Duarte panel <laughs> hosted <Yeah. laughs> by Jason, um, which was actually amazing. And, and like, he's super funny. So that was really, really cool. Um, I feel like I saw so many things that I can't remember what to tell you that I saw. <laughs> I saw a lot of people still dress up like Chris Pratt from Jurassic World.
0: Oh, really? They had yeah. a, Didn't they have some kind of crazy uh, uh, dinosaur thing as you're going into the entrance?
2: Yeah. The main entrance says Jurassic World above it. And there was like a cosplayer who I guess worked for the con and they had somebody in the blue raptor suit. Mm, And mm -hmm. when a new wave of people would go in, like the raptor would come out and try to get you and like the cosplayer would run out and like throw his hands up, you know, like that picture. Oh, yeah. And then it would back off and everyone could go in and oh, it was so dramatic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I heard a lot of people complain about that because it was holding up people getting into the show.
2: Yeah, because it's right in the middle of the main yeah. entrance and like Javits uh, Convention Center is a lot of small rooms that they take over, making it difficult to navigate. Mm. So when you're like throwing, so when the con is intentionally putting something on top of that, uh, it seems like a, a questionable suggestion. No, Go ahead. Sorry. I, was gonna say, I saw a lot of uh, LexCorp employees as
0: well. Oh, yeah. You didn't like the LexCorp Wi-Fi.
2: No, it okay, all con Wi-Fi sucks. That's a scientific yes. fact, right? I yes. couldn't decide if the LexCore Wi-Fi sucked because it was con Wi-Fi or because it was truly evil. <laughs> I'm going to go and, with truly evil. Right, that makes it totally brilliant if that's why it sucked. But they were trying to play it off like they were a real corporation and they were giving away um, those little mobile chargers like for iPhones.
0: Oh, cool. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, which was super cool, but they ran out of that and the Pepsi Perfect on the first day. Oh,
0: So you were only able to get one for me. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I had heard something interesting, and I think it was uh, Rich Johnston who reported on it, that um, money, there was more money being spent at the con this year than in in years past. And he drew an interesting uh, conclusion that it may be because the convention sold fewer four-day passes and more single-day passes uh, intentionally.
2: That's so interesting. Like everyone is binging all in one day.
0: Yeah, because the the thought process then is if you have $400, you're going to go. You may not show up uh, at the beginning of the show or the end of the show. You may skip out. If you've got $400, you've, you're essentially spending $100 a day. But if you're there for just one day, you're going to get there in the morning. You're going to stay all day to try to see everything. And you're going to spend all of your
2: $400. They also did a really good job at they had ATMs everywhere every Mm -hmm. few aisles inside the con floor so it wasn't if you needed to get to cash even Mm -hmm. though most dealers will take a card it wasn't hard to get to cash which i thought was kind of a brilliant move on their part excellent
0: (laughs) and uh how many redshirt diaries fans uh hassled you guys
2: um well we met up with a bunch of redshirt diaries fans that was intentional we ended up with um michael gaines who hosts this week in trek oh yeah Mm in the hooniverse and Mm -hmm. um we met up with a couple of fans like that. We knew were in the area, but I got stopped like three times to take pictures with people. Excellent. So that was that was cool. Yeah. Well, we pretend famous.
0: <laughs> Marvel had a big announcement uh, this uh, this past weekend, Matthew, all about their brand new crossover event for 2016. <laughs> you laugh. Why do you laugh?
1: Because their 2015 crossover event is now going at least three months longer than it, it was expected to and is still going on. So so what do we Secret know? Secret Wars is still going on. Well,
0: I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you what's going on with that. But what can you tell me about Avengers standoff?
1: Ooh, the mysteries behind a strange town of Pleasant Hill. I suspect there's a guy with a pyramid head. And you big, think? No, no, probably not. Uh Essentially, from what I can tell, it's an Avengers-centered event, which is mm-hmm, nice because, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have a, a million Avengers. And it seems to be, which I enjoy, sort of writer-driven, at least from what I can, you know, yeah. what we can glean from the information we've been given so far. So I expect that it may have something to do with the I-word in the final analysis. Oh, in the
0: but, Inhumans? Mm-hmm. Hmm, or lack thereof. yeah. Uh, let's see. Know. It says Pleasant Hill is a gated community that has more than its fair share of secrets. Secrets that kept its residents locked away behind the walls. But The time has come for them to finally escape as their revolt begins. Why then are the Avengers trying to keep them inside? What does it have to do with shield? What's hidden at Pleasant Hill might be too much for even the Avengers to handle. I word. Uh, maybe it's Z word. Maybe it's zombies. It's not zombies. Oh, OK. In
1: it's humans, not 2011. No. I I, well, I don't know. I, I can't say for sure that it's in humans. It may be something that we didn't expect at all. But I'll tell you one thing that I don't expect it to be. What's that? Mutants.
0: You don't think it's going to be <laughs> mutants at
1: all? I, I don't. And, you know, the, the main reason for that, I think, is that the mutants are all dying of Terrigen mist poisoning. They're all going to die and be dead. And everybody's going to die except for those mutants who have their own books. And for three years, there will be no mutants because this happened Except for Wolverine. Well, yeah, he... You can't kill Wolverine.
0: He's the best at what he
1: is. It'll turn out that they'll. <laughs> he has an alternate origin. You you guys know this, right? Wolverine Which one? was given an this origin the one where- in the year two thousand nine, where he's not a mutant at all. He's actually a member of a weird lupine race. Oh yeah, uh, and he's not human. And he and all of the other feral types aren't mutants and aren't humans. They're descendants of this weird lupine race, him and saber and wild child and all those endless variety. What of about X
0: 23?
1: Well, X 23 is a clone of Wolverine. So theoretically she would share his genetic material. Mm. I see. But she's an improper clone, which I, I don't what know. What does that mean? H- hence the gender swap. What's right. An,
2: what's an improper clone? They well, only, they only Wolverine like half
3: copied
1: all of them. Oh, an chromosome <laughs> and a Y chromosome. Yeah. X23 doesn't have a Y chromosome. So They is didn't a,
2: they didn't read the the handwriting correctly and the Y looked <laughs> like an X.
0: <laughs> so is is Superboy is uh, Superboy a um, one of these improper clones because he's a mix between uh, Kryptonian and Lex Luthor? beautiful love
1: child <laughs> of Superman <laughs> and Lex
0: Luthor, yeah. Yeah, weird. I
1: th- well,
0: it could be worse. No, I, I just finished watching again the uh, Young Justice series this past weekend, both so uh, both good. season. It is so good. The and funniest especially, joke
2: in that series is, is, is the Superboy birthday joke where she's yeah, like, yeah. how old are you? Six. Six. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 21. <laughs> uh,
0: it just it's so well done. And then the whole second season, which is all about Blue Beetle and the Reach, I thought was really good as well. But uh, back to Assault on Pleasant Hill, Rodrigo. Any thoughts on this? This is written by Nick Spencer, who does uh, Morning Glory. Ooh.
2: and ant-man and ant-man he, yes
1: should be
4: in um i haven't i haven't really seen much on it um i haven't really been paying too much attention to the marvel side recently okay well there you go
0: uh this is supposed to kick off it doesn't say what month oh it does say march of 2016 is when this arrives hopefully matthew's secret wars will be uh, wrapped up by then
2: They should because that's my birthday month and I don't want any more Secret Wars.
1: (laughs) Hey, 2016. Yep. That's a big 75th anniversary year. For who? Captain America, 1941.
0: Well, it does say it uh, comes out on the – it's supposed to – this is the odd thing, and this is why I was so confused about this when they first started reporting on it. Some of the other sites were reporting on it. They're like mm-hmm. tying directly into Captain America's 75th anniversary. It's an Avengers uh, crossover event. And it's like, well, how does that relate to Captain America, except that he was the leader of the Avengers? How about they have a uh, uh, Captain America crossover event? Ooh, what Captain if? Captain
1: America is an old dude right now. He doesn't what have if powers.
0: What if Pleasant Hill, that whole uh, pre-World War II, post-World War II uh, suburb thing is a place mm. where they've got a bunch of super soldiers Ooh. and that's how we're going to get young Captain America back
1: well that would be terrible the Falcon's only been Captain America for like 10 minutes yeah I know
0: doesn't his first issue come out this week is it this week
1: well his second first issue his first first issue came out like eight months ago Yeah, oh, Spider,
2: okay. Spider Gwen's third first
1: issue was this week Man. <laughs> Iron Man's fifth invincible uh, number one comes out this week too
0: Did you guys get a chance to uh, check out the um, Daredevil um, season two trailer before it got taken down? You may have seen it. You didn't see it at the convention, did you?
2: I did. I saw it on my phone at the convention. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) I did not. It's interesting because there was a certain other website that had it and they had it under their unlisted videos on YouTube. And then I noticed today that it had been taken down. So somebody obviously wasn't too pleased that everyone else was able to go in and copy the code and, and paste it on their sites.
4: But copy the, code. the thing, Rodrigo, did you get to see it? I didn't get a chance now. Oh, OK, I,
0: the thing that's a little bit misleading about it for when they finally do release it is that literally the first two thirds of the trailer is just a recap of what happened in season one. And
1: then it's previously on daredevil es-
0: essentially. Right. And then it's at the end, they're like daredevil. And then these uh, titles come up and you're like, Oh, that's the end of it. What a rip. And then it comes into this whole thing of, of showing little bits and pieces from uh, the new season, including uh, our first look at Punisher and Electra. And so uh, if people get to see it, I thought it was pretty interesting. Ashley, do you have any thoughts on it since you, you were able to see it?
2: I mean, I think it's cool, but I also think that the um, Marvel Netflix, series trailers are doing what movie trailers should do they they're they're brief and they don't give you much it's mm-hmm. enough to be interested in but they haven't given away huge chunks of the plot right but i think because the daredevil the poster where he's got the punisher symbol behind him
3: because mm-hmm.
2: that dropped a cup, couple weeks ago a yes. week ago uh-huh. i think it was a smart move to include you know the brief punisher look that we got
0: right i
2: mean a, everyone's looking forward to it anyway <laughs> oh
0: yeah, yeah yeah there's this really weird interesting thing where a night nurse it picks up an X-ray and it's like a human skull and it's – and that's kind of a – I don't know if it's supposed to be Frank Castle's skull or whatever, but I th- found that was rather interesting to have that pop up in the middle of that trailer when they're talking about Punisher and Electra.
1: Could be Hammerhead.
0: Could be. Uh, <laughs> they also apparently, from what I understand, showed the pilot episode of Jessica Jones at uh, the New York Comic-Con.
2: Yeah, it's getting really, really good uh, reviews. Although I've heard that some very unspeakable things from that first issue of Alias make it onto the screen.
0: Yes. And that's what I've heard, too, is that uh, people are wondering if this is too hard for a Marvel show because they do go into all the horrible things that happen in that uh, Alias series that we reviewed on the show. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. And, And but here's the other thing. Daredevil, is it? I mean, what rating do you think Daredevil should be, Rodrigo? If if you were to give it a
4: rating, I'd probably rate it R or TV Y seventeen. I don't know. What are okay, they
0: no, no. I mean that's fine. So you mm-hmm. think that the, I mean obviously it's targeted towards more mature audiences, and it's not something sure. that an eight year old should probably plop his butt down and try to to make his way through. Matthew, Correct. what about what about uh, Jessica Jones? What I mean, if you were to make a uh, TV show out of this on a non regulated network mm-hmm. that is Netflix. Mm-hmm. How would you approach that show? Would you approach it with what rating in mind?
1: TVMA, mm-hmm. because the the original, you know, the, the intent of Jessica Jones was part of that Marvel Max initiative mm-hmm. to do what they considered to be adult material. And, you know, adult in both the positive and the negative connotation. Remember, the first page of the first issue of Alias is... Jessica engaging in coitus with Luke Cage and yelling an F word at the top of her lungs, that kind of tells you what you're in for. The first thing you see is the main character having sex and cursing at the top of her lungs. And I think that really it's since you've got it on your Netflix and since you have the ability to say, you know, this is, this is either unrated or we're going to rate this and you make the decision. We're not necessarily going to put on a broadcast channel where standards and practices can tear it apart. I think that TVMA is the way to go on Jessica Jones. Yeah. But then the problem becomes when you roll it into Luke Cage and you roll it into Defenders, you probably do have to pull that back to maybe a TV-14 or whatever the equivalent of an R rating would be.
0: Ashley, do you have any thoughts on uh, ratings for these for these Netflix series shows?
2: I mean, I would definitely rate them both at an R Um, Even considering I would have probably watched a TV show rated R like when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there is something to be said for sexual violence versus physical violence. Right. And that maybe I think Jessica Jones will catch more heat for that than Daredevil caught for the physical violence, which I wouldn't say was gratuitous, but was definitely... Constant. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah, It was (laughs) was definitely graphic. And considering that the Purple Man is the focus of this first Jessica Jones series and we know what happened there, it's going to get pretty intense and ugly. The reason I the reason I brought this up is that uh, apparently, you know, they're doing an animated adaptation of The Killing Joke, uh, the direct to the direct to um, video movie that Warner Brothers has been put out. And I hear that they've been going, been giving the go-ahead to make this an R-rated animated film.
2: Well, most uh, of DC's movies are pretty. If they're not R, they're pretty close. They're,
0: to are they've been PG-13 uh, the last couple ones that they've put out, especially the uh, well they can call Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad
2: that, and that's really cute, but it's definitely yeah. R. <laughs> it, was,
0: it was pretty pretty R, but I mean to go with a hard R, I mean that's kind of paying a little bit more service to the uh, the source material. Um, but it's also interesting because Warner Brothers considers these directo uh video movies targeted towards adult audiences to begin with and not towards
1: kids.
2: Although I did see uh, Gods and Monsters in the kids section at Target oh, and I boy. wanted to run away with all of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there, I don't know if I would call the killing joke as it was presented in comics an R-rated story.
0: Oh, man, I, I mean, would.
1: No, there's the thing about the killing joke. And we, when we covered it, we talked about this is a lot of it is allowed to be in your head. There like the, is the
2: various sexual implications,
1: right? The implications of the sexual stuff. And the, all of that is there to be gleaned from the story, but it is not explicitly part of the story. And I'm worried that if you're making this an R rated thing, you're taking all of the things that Moran and Boland specifically did, you know, be that because they intended to, or because 1988 ratings meant they had to, that they left those things sort of shadowy and and for your mind to fill in the most horrible mm-hmm. things that you can imagine. And by making it explicit, I feel like they may not be doing justice to the story.
0: Well, and we don't know if if the R has been given the go ahead so that they can include any kind of sexual stuff, but it could also include a lot of the violent stuff, and there is a lot of that in there as well. So, uh, and but
2: there also may be some additional a more literal interpretation of the ending as well, because that's, right. you know, been fodder for discussion over the past couple of years as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of, cool,
0: lot of cool things going on in pop culture and comics uh, these days. And you can find out more over at Majorspoilers.com. That's where our site is headquartered. All sorts of neat things, including this story about Dark Horse and Comicsology finally teaming up for single issue releases. I'm kind of excited about this because originally Dark Horse said, "Eh, you know, Comixology can do whatever they want to do. We're going to go do our own app. And I bought maybe five or six single issues from them and then never read them because it was a whole other app that I had to navigate through. And now they are making them and this was official last week. Uh, so now you can go get all of your single issues of Dark Horse Comics over at Comixology. Nice. Yeah. Now, for the last, I think I want to say January or February, that's when they were doing the graphic novels. Um, but now it's single issues as well. So people can go check those out on Wednesday. And like I said, you can find uh, these stores and more of MajorSpoilers.com. MajorSpoilers.com. You can also find our Amazon.com link next week on the major spoilers podcast. We're going to be doing the iron fist, uh, graphic novel or, uh, yes. trade paperback. Oh, and I if have... you want to get, uh, if you want to get in on that, just head over to Amazon.com. Click on that button at major spoilers buy the collection. There a little bit comes back our way and helps us do shows like this week after week after week. Nice. We will be talking about Lumberjanes in just a few moments, but first let us get to some comic book reviews. reviews. Rodrigo, what do you got for us this week? I'm kind of interested in this one.
4: Yeah, so I'm looking at The Rook number 1, which is a time travel detective shoot 'em up story. Yeah, man. It's got time travel, it's got detectives and it's got shoot 'em ups.
0: And it's got chess pieces, so you know. You? That's right. Goes.
4: Although it is a little confusing because everybody calls the guy the rook, but also they call him like the king. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's a, that's a different piece. Mm-hmm. Now, is this and a like,
1: continuation of the Warren series, the rook? It is. It?
4: it is. It's supposed to be. And that's, that's the thing is I'm not familiar with the old series. Um, but this is explicitly supposed to be a return of this character. Now, if they are, revamping it for a new generation or or if they're um just doing a straight continuation or anything i couldn't tell you um but i'll i'll describe the the tone and stuff and then you guys can you guys that have read it before can decide for yourselves so me Um, yes uh, or any listeners also, we do, uh, put this podcast out as well. Wait, people listen to this show? <laughs> I guess so.
1: I should stop interrupting you then.
4: All right. So, uh, yeah, there's this awesome time traveler guy known as the Rook, and he, um, is facing off against some of his greatest enemies, all of which have, uh, kind of hilarious superhero names, like, and then like super villainy names, <laughs> like, Dr. Destructo and that sort of thing. Not the actual, you know what I mean. Um, So uh, he travels back and they're like chasing after him and he goes back to um, 2015. So I guess technically it already is a revamp because some of his origins are tied up with 2015, which I'm guessing the original series was not. Um, So... uh, Things kind of go down. Some people meet their own past selves, and it all gets pretty freaky times, and there's a lot of mysteries involved. Um, Some people die. Some people that are, uh, you would imagine, not supposed to be dead on the first issue die right away. It's pretty interesting in that sense. Uh, It's it's interesting to see where they're going. It's time travel shenanigans, so... You know, it's like at any point, a character dying doesn't necessarily mean anything. A character being stranded somewhere doesn't necessarily mean anything specifically. But it's it gives you that secondary um, joy of watching a time travel story. Right. Of seeing the writer paint himself into a corner and then seeing if they're going to be able to get out of it. Right. They can and, remember a trash can. Right. In any sort of satisfying way, you know, any given Doctor Who story that involves a lot of time travel. Right. For example, you're like, oh, man, how are they going to get themselves out of this one? And half the time you're like, well, they sure cheated that. That was not satisfying. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Um, the art is OK. I wasn't crazy about it, but there's nothing wrong with it. Um, the characters are very distinctive. So that's cool. Um, there are some cool visual things that go on. The time travel stuff is like pretty glowy and transporty. So that's cool. Um, the, uh, there is a, I'm guessing the character is called the Rook because he travels around in a very Rookish looking tower time machine. So that's cool. Um, so I mean it's interesting it's interesting stuff um I can't speak to people who are familiar with it with the the previous version of this um because I haven't read it but as a, as a jumping on point um it benefits greatly from it or it'll, it'll benefit you greatly to go in expecting time travel shenanigans because almost like some things are explained but it's kind of all over the place And that's kind of what you want out of your time travel stories at first. So there's really nothing wrong with this book. I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf. Um, There's a couple of things art-wise that I wasn't crazy about, but uh, again, nothing wrong with it.
0: Cool. That's the Rook number 1 that is out next week from Dark Horse Comics. Out this week from Dark Horse Comics is King Tiger number 3, written by Randy Stradley and art by Doug Wheatley. This issue... Uh, So King Tiger was kidnapped by his father and his uh, crazy band of demonic uh, brothers and sisters, and he's going to be fed to this giant uh, demon that is now rampaging through Cinnabar Flats and killing people and destroying things and all this stuff. Uh, This issue is a big fighty fighty issue where there's maybe two pages that have other dialogue and I'm being a little it's it's actually more than that, but. Um, most of it is like, come on, fight me. You know, you want to, ah, don't let him escape. Ah, bang, bang, bang. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so King Tiger is martial artist, magician, wizard, demon guy. And so you would expect that in a series titled King Tiger, you would get a lot of fighty fighty. And this one, this issue does not disappoint, uh, from that, uh, from that standpoint. That being said, there's not a lot of, uh, story progression, um, there's some attempt to bring in the military uh, from Las Vegas out into Cinnabar Flats. That seemed rather wasted at this point. Maybe it'll pay off in in the next issue. Um, but for the most part, it's King Tiger trying to get away from his uh, his family and facing off against the, the giant demon uh, rampaging through Cinnabar Flats. So I know that feeling. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, so. Uh, from that standpoint, it's fine. It's a very, very quick read, and so that may be somewhat disappointing for people. The art by uh, Doug Wheatley is is good. Um, it continues to shine like it has in, in past issues. Coloring is fantastic, especially all the glowing uh, effects that they have for the uh, this orange monster. Uh, if you think about the best um, orange lantern coloring that, that they had in the uh, Lantern War stuff, that's kind of what it looks like. So it really pops off the page. Um There's some, again, not knowing what's coming up in the next issue. There's some character development stuff that seems kind of odd. But hey, man, whatever. Let's see how it all wraps up in the next (laughs) issue. I did not think that this issue was as good as past issues. um, But so far, I'm still very pleased. And I'm giving King Tiger number three, three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Um, Worth picking up. Definitely, if you're needing to get your King Tiger or your martial arts fix in comics, this is the place to go this week.
1: Your wusha,
0: your wushu, and all that crazy stuff.
1: Ooh, I'd like uh, some wushu pork.
0: Yes. All right, uh, Matthew. What do you have from Marvel this week?
1: I have a book that came out from Marvel, I believe, last week. It's a brand new number one for the superhero uh, superhero movie guy, Invincible Iron Man, number one. And there has been a lot of gossipy gossip about who's in the Iron Man suit in Invincible Iron Man number one. And there have been some interesting theories. Could it be Pepper Potts? Somebody said, it's Mary Jane Watson. People are like, well, that clearly can't be Tony Stark because it's not Tony Stark's usual profile. And this Iron Man suit looks all sleek and feminine. And I'm like, yeah, totally. That's the kind of assumption you can make about an armored person. So in this (laughs) issue, number one, it is the first Brian Michael Bendis written issue of Iron Man. Uh, Bendis has left the X-Men and he's come to Iron Man. I will say this about Iron Man number one, Invincible Iron Man number one. If you buy this issue, it is a beautifully drawn cover with weird three-dimensional letters that look like they came out of the year 1999. So I am not impressed with the typography on the cover. Oh,
0: well, they do have – that is what's going on right now is they're doing their 90s throwback variant covers.
1: Ooh, is it a 90s throwback variant? It
0: may be. I'd have to go back and see what all their 90s variant covers were, but I'm sure Iron Man was
1: one of them. This issue is drawn by David Marquez, and I know I know the name, but I can't remember from where, but it looks fabulous. I mean, really, really impressive. We start out with a mysterious man bringing a mysterious Pulp Fiction briefcase to a mysterious shadowy person. And the whole thing is just beautifully put together. It's very cinematic. He walks down the alley. He sees the person. The person opens the case, and the orange light within reveals a solid gold emotionless faceplate. Mm. They are rehabbing Madam Mask, ladies and gentlemen, after you know having her be a joke for a while. And then we get to the well, Tony she's been Stark.
2: In, she's been in Hawkeye.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's true. But eh, the last place I remember seeing her was in that Hood Limited series where they really kind of just ruined her for me, at least for a while. But it is nice to see her being threatening, and she is super threatening in this issue. And then we find Tony Stark working in his Tony Stark lab, and it is a very Bendis setup. It's Tony Stark, an internal monologue. And if you know Brian Michael Bendis' dialogue, you know what I'm talking about. He's thinking to himself about, I sure am Iron Man, and what kind of Iron Man am I going to be today, and how am I going to do what I do what I do? But it really works. He has the – I I think of it as the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man dialogue down. This feels like something you could hear Robert Downey saying, especially you know the really, really sarcastic – post-apocalypse Robert Downey Jr. from Iron Man 3. And we find out, of course, that the new armor is the newest of the new armor, and it's awesome, mm-hmm. apparently. And it is Tony Stark in the suit. I'm going to spoiler mm-hmm. that for you right now because I can Dun, dun, dun. Spoiler not, alert. Yeah, I'm not going to. Really?
2: Look at the and podcast sh- name. Dude, What? The guy. The guy in the oh, Iron you know, Man suit is the still same get, guy I, that has been since
1: I still get
0: hate mail from people saying, I wish you guys would put some kind of spoiler warning at the beginning of the episodes. Well, first yeah. of all, there is a spoiler warning at the beginning of the episodes. <laughs> Second of all, look at the, the title.
1: Okay, so spoilers. The new Iron Man armor is another attempt to do modular armor. And it is described as armor that can change shape and color scheme based on mission stats. And what that means is... Every artist can do what they want. And we don't have to worry about whether the armor changed. And I think that may be the most brilliant part of this issue. Aside from the fact that Tony has a new love interest and their interaction is just adorable. um, There is a problem with her story for me in that if you guys remember the Joss Whedon, uh, was it Uncanny X-Men that he did? Or um, Astonishing. Astonishing? You remember the Astonishing Run that had the whole subplot about the cure for mutants? Yeah. Yes. Okay. No.
2: That was his first arc.
1: Yeah. When you get into this issue, there are definite overtones of that. And by that, I mean, there is a scientist who has created a cure for mutants. And it is not Dr. Kavita Rao. It is a different doctor. but Dr. Johnny Fever. Issue, she is drawn as looking very similar to John Cassidy's drawings of Dr. Kavita Rao, which I'm not entirely sure where that's coming with. But hey, the universe has been reset. This is a new world. And by the way, the major villain that appears at the end of this book, and but by not the major villain of this story, but the major villain in the Marvel Universe, I will not spoiler for you, but a major villain makes a reappearance in an incredibly surprising way. At the end of this issue. So whatever happens at the end of secret war
4: does seem
1: to have some when when we get to that in five months does seem to have something (laughs) interesting. So
0: this is what I was afraid of, though, if if what you're saying, if I'm understanding what you're saying is because they were so committed to getting all these new issues out. So they actually had something on the on the racks. Mm -hmm. They're actually spoiling the end of their own big. Event.
1: They're not spoiling what happens at the end of Secret Wars. They are tipping their hand as to the placement of certain major players of the Marvel Universe post-Secret Wars. Now, I will say this. The character in question, whom I will not name, is a character of such scope that there is no way that he and or she would ever have been off the table for long mm-hmm. So it's not like they're, you know, ruining the fact that, I don't know, they myrtleized maggot or something. This is something that all it really does is show us the layout of the chessboard at the end of Secret Wars, not the moves that it took to get there. Okay. So I'll give them that. And I will say that it's, it's an interaction that I'm kind of interested in. I want to see this character and Tony Stark working together. There's no pepper pots in this issue which bothers me, but Tony has created a new AI who is totally not Jarvis, who is actually a snarky woman with red hair. Jocasta? Mm, Could be. Jocasta had a big silvery head. No, I think (laughs) that whatever happened to Pepper Potts, he's actually created his new AI to remind him of Pepper Potts. I don't know. I will say three and a half slices of meatloaf for Invincible Iron Man, number one. I feel like Bendis has the character really well really locked down to a point where first of all i like him and he works within the framework of bendis dialogue bendis delivery we'll see in the coming issues how well he works within bendis plotting which can be labyrinthine and drawn out but all in all this is a solid restart and i'm i'm not hating the armor and they finally did readjust the mask so it doesn't look like a baboon's face anymore So I'm totally on board for that because, I mean, he's looked like that for 15 years.
0: Cool. All right. So uh, how many slices did you give that one, Matthew?
1: 3.5 out of 5 slices of meatloaf for Invincible Iron Man number one from Marvel Comics out last week.
0: There you go. Now, Ashley, I am interested in this book because Rosie Press hasn't been around for very long, right?
2: Rosie Press has been around as long as their Kickstarter was around like six (laughs) months ago. Yeah. Okay,
0: cool. So what have you got for us from them?
2: I have fresh romance number five. Uh, Rosie Press is a company that is created to publish fresh romance, I guess, among other things. Uh, like I said, this was a Kickstarter book. I donated to it, but you can find all the issues either through their website in any format you want or on comicsology. So it's not hard to get. And it's basically a throwback to the classic, um, teen magazine romance comics. So yeah. there's a little opening letter. There's three stories in it that are ongoing. And one of them wraps up this issue, and there's an advice column, and then there's like a, a process, like a how-to, how we did this comic, look at how neat it is. Uh, which which I actually think is the most interesting part of their articles, because you can see everybody's individual style and how yeah, they that's work. cool, color-flatting, and that's the part that I really like. But uh, this is written by Sarah Kuhn, Kate Leth, and Sarah Vaughn. The artists, uh, the pencilers are Ariel with the... In a, pronounceable last name, I'm really sorry, Ariel, uh, Sarah Winifred C- Seasurl, and S- uh, Sally Jane Thomas. I can read really well tonight. <laughs> um, and there's three different stories. There's one called School Spirit, and that's the first one. It's always the first one in these. Um, it's kind of your typical high school drama, except there's two girls who want to be nice girlfriends together, and they're popular girls, so they don't think that that's okay. And then they have um, a friend who's also a girl who's a witch and then she's always trying to help them. And that's caused a lot of drama. And this is kind of the penultimate issue where, uh, Justine, who's like the pretty girl, um, nice lesbian character decides that she's going to come out in front of the whole school. And damn if anybody knows that she loves Mally. And then they kiss in the middle of the cafeteria. Somebody posts a picture online and it goes viral. And, and yeah, the story's kind of silly. But it's really, really cute and really, really fun. And I think that, um, if you're enjoying what they're doing, like in the new Archie series, Mm -hmm. then you can really get behind this story in particular because it's that same, like, oh, I'm 16 and the world is ending. Oh, now what am I going to do? Um, and it also has my favorite art of, of all the stories. Um, Ruined is a throwback to like the Jane Austen era. And in the previous issue, it was the two characters' wedding nights, and there was like a lot of male nudity in that, which I found kind of surprising because it's generally a pretty like PG 13 book. Yeah. Um, in this issue, it's like the next day, and they're the, uh, Andrew and Catherine, the couple that's been married, um, is being like awkward about it. And I actually thought that the story was really lacking because they've done a great job at building. Um, drama in previous issues about Catherine's reputation, whether or not she's a virgin when she gets married, why Andrew would marry her in the first place. And then uh, in this issue for 10 pages, they're just kind of like moping around, talking to their respective confidants, but not taking any action. Um, You know, And I'll go to Hamlet if I want to see people just talking about their feelings and not actually doing anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then the final story is called The Ruby Equation. And this story wraps up and this issue, so I, I guess in the next issue, there'll be a different story going forward. Um, it is about a girl named Ruby who works at a coffee shop. And she's a supernatural being who her job is to create um, love matches between human characters. And of course, she falls in love with one of the patrons and has to deal with the implications of what that could possibly mean. Um, in the same way as the first story, School Spirit, it's really cute if you can get behind the idea of like a classic romance story that is going to be tropey. But if it's done well you can still get some enjoyment out of it. Mm-hmm. Um I really like Fresh Romance as an idea. Uh, This was probably, because of the weakness of the second story, one of my least favorite issues. But I would still give it like 3.5 out of 5 because I like the throwback quality. I like what it's doing. Um, I like the fact that they have characters who are not mm-hmm. all white and not all heteronormative. And every time I read it, it's just a—it's a fun time, and it's a nice break sometimes from the super seriousness of, of books like you know Saga or Morning Glories or right. whatever cape and cowl thing that you're reading. And it's the reason why books like Spider Gwen are really fun to read. So, uh, not my favorite issue in the series, but still pretty solid. Three point five slice of meatloaf.
0: All right, cool. Now, is—is uh, is this going to be an ongoing series, or did they set up their Kickstarter to just do like the the limited six issue run?
2: Uh, the Kickstarter. I think is for 12 issues because I got a six month subscription, but you could also get a year long subscription. And then I'm not quite sure what they're going to do going forward. If it's just going to be off their profits or if they're going to do another Kickstarter campaign.
0: All right, cool. Uh, There was another um, announcement that came out today from her universe. Uh, They've teamed up with permuted press to develop a line of uh, books aimed at all ages, but, Specifically focusing on tweens and young adult uh female readers and they've got a um I think a submission set up right now where people can find out more about how they can get uh their work published. You can head over to heruniversepress dot com for more information about that
2: her universe so, is killing it
0: yeah, 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 so that's kind of neat um yeah, so they've got the whole submission guidelines in there, and they're looking specifically for books. Uh, word count 60,000 words are longer for novels and uh, they'll accept some fewer pages only if it's nonfiction. But like I said, head over to heruniverse.com dot com to find out more about that. Uh, let's see. Speaking of finding out more about that, Wayne Hall just got back from the New York Comic Con. I want to say last night and then he found out that his Internet had uh, crapped out on him. So I'm pretty sure he's got a New York Comic Con summary coming up over at Majorspoilers dot com. But if you're looking for more reviews, more podcasts, more stuff, it's all over at Majorspoilers.com, including Matthew. Yes. Including Rodrigo. Including Ashley.
2: Yes.
0: The Major Spoilers Poll of the Week.
2: Week, 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 week.
0: Now, how, have you guys ever heard of this game called Super Fight? Yes. No. It is frickin' fantastic. <laughs> I I I barely saw... You know, I read through what the basically what the gist of the game was and instantly bought the base game and all of the expansions that have come out for it.
2: Is that Uh, the one that's uh, published by Skybound?
0: Yes, it is from Skybound. There we go. uh, Skybound Games, um, which is uh, Robert Kirkman's imprint over at Image Comics.
2: Kirkman!
0: But essentially think of it as this. Okay. Cards Against Humanities meet the major spoilers poll of the week.
2: Love it. So
0: what you do is you draw out a character card. For example, I will pull out a card randomly out of this uh, deck and I've got a senior citizen bowling team. And then I pull from another deck powers, three powers, and choose one of those that I want to keep. So, for example, uh, explodes if they stop moving. And then I get to draw one more card and add that to the power set. And I create my character. Senior citizen bowling team explodes if they stop moving and armed with chains with a chainsaw. And then your opponent does the exact same thing, and so you they create their card, and then you sit there with everyone else at the table, and you uh, basically give an argument of why you think your character would win, and then everyone around the table votes, and whoever is the winner gets to move on to the next round, and then the next player gets to create their card and go up against uh, the player, etc. Uh, the the winner of the previous round. So I thought, why don't we do this for the major spoilers poll of the week this week, or for maybe the next couple of weeks, we'll see how it is. So this week we have a giraffe that shoots blinding light from its hand and is armored with a super glue fire hose, taking on a 10 story tall disembodied head that can stretch like rubber. Mm. Rodrigo, who's going to win in this
4: fight? Well, um, I mean, this is, this is just a, a classic matchup, not, (laughs) <laughs> Directly, but the tropes are there. I mean, we've mm-hmm. seen this uh, kind of fight repeated throughout the ages, right? It's like mm-hmm. Gilgamesh and his glue gun versus that giant head, right. you know, that sort of thing. It's you know, it's 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 classic.
1: Garmok um, and Jalad at giant giraffe. Yep.
4: basically, I, I yeah, believe it was. Lights. Uh, <laughs> I believe it was Descartes that said giant rubber head therefore something in any case um i would say given given uh the information that i have which is just two run on sentences um i would definitely <laughs> i would definitely give it uh to the giraffe just because it has like a larger arsenal i think you know the uh, giant disembodied head you know, sure, the classic adage of rubber versus glue would right. put an would give it an advantage, but the giraffe's got other things going for it. One of which is being a giraffe. I don't know. Giraffes yeah. are pretty resourceful animals altogether. I mean, you know, you don't ever see a giraffe locked out of its car. So uh, right. I, I would I would go with the giraffe on this one. Matthew, what about you?
1: Well, this is actually a difficult one because as Rodrigo mentioned, there is the case of rubber V glue 1954, but then there's also a couple of important things that you have to look at. First, what we're looking at is a giraffe with hands. So (laughs) that right there, something's up. That's some Island of Dr. Moreau stuff right there. The super glue fire hose. Now, if you said a glue gun, I'm thinking paste pot peat or if you're thinking like a a glue sort of bomb or glue trap, this is a fire hose, which implies lots and lots of super glue being delivered at a high velocity. And then you have to take into account the toxicity of cyanoacrylate adhesives. It's not just a glue effect. It's going to basically fume you out of the room, especially if you're looking at the really strong cyanoacrylates are very powerful on porous materials such as rubber. So if you've got a fire hose shooting that glue, you're essentially going to encase the rubber head. And by the way, all rubber heads throw fish. But if you're going to encase the rubber head in that cyanoacrylate glue, you're going to neutralize its one ability. It has the ability to stretch. You've frozen it in basically a crystal of super glue, a, a coffin, if you will. It's, toast. Even if it is 10 stories, which is roughly 100 feet tall, we're talking about a giraffe. So you figure the giraffe is probably 20 feet tall plus hands. It is very important that I mention once again, the hands, you blind it with your blinding light, right? And then you shoot it and you encase it. So I'm going to go with the giraffe that shoots blinding light from its hands and has no concept of how subjunctive clauses actually work.
0: Hey man, it's just as the cards come out. That's how you gotta. That's how you gotta spell it out, <laughs> Ashley. What have you got?
2: Well, only one of these things is a cute animal that I once saw lick a squirrel at the zoo. So no, I'm
4: a giant disembodied <laughs> head. Way to go! going to say This is either going to be a cute story or a great story.
2: <laughs> I'm terrified already. <laughs> so, I mean, I have to give it to the giraffe. Like all the all the other amenities that come with the giraffe. I'm sold on the fact that it's a giraffe.
0: (laughs) Well, unlike you guys who think giraffes are really cool and really neat and really cute and cuddly, uh, giraffes can't be trusted. (laughs) They're
2: like they're owls.
0: They are cheating.
2: Don't you talk bad about owls,
0: mothers and fathers. And just because I know giraffes are evil, the giraffe is going to win in the fight. Because he's going to cheat any chance he gets. So there are four votes for giraffe that shoots blinding light from hands and is armed with a super glue fire hose Uh, from us. The 10 story tall disembodied head that can stretch like rubber uh, is the loser. But this is just our input literally
1: and figuratively.
0: This is just our input. Matthew, everybody else has to vote in this major spoilers poll of the week. And how has everyone voted so far?
1: 62 votes in the bag right now. Some very, very harsh words being exchanged about the possibility of ungulates with secondary primate lifting tensile hand thingies. But more importantly, 72%, 73% agree with us. It's all about the giraffe. Uh, 27% are still making the case for the disembodied head that can stretch like rubber.
0: I'm trying to find somebody. Oh, yeah. Here's a tasool, tasool. Mm-hmm. He says the disembodied head wins because giraffes can't bend their hooves to bring up the light beams uh, to bear, making them not much uh, other than underlights. And, you know, if you've seen a giraffe cruise down the street, 100-foot tall giraffe with underlights on, you know what a hazard that is. <laughs> uh, number two, I'm rubber, your glue, bounce off me, sticks to you, blah, blah, blah. That spells out the rest. <laughs> uh, so there, there's one person who's, uh, who's in the giant rubber head. A lot camp. of the
1: arguments in the comments are banking the case for the big rubber head. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are like,
0: giraffes don't have hands, man. They're also not a hundred feet tall. And last but time I saw a giant rubber head was on Matthew.
1: This <laughs> giraffe has hands by definition. It says yes. a giraffe that has hands because yes. it shoots light from the hands. This is some mutant giraffe. I would ama- I would is.
0: imagine it would be an a uh, hundred foot tall anthropomorphized giraffe,
1: or going is around it an going around actual giraffe with an additional pair of limbs that is that have even hands more terrifying,
0: hands. right? Right. To where it's, it's walking like, on all fours and then right up on the shoulders before it goes into that long yes. neck. It's got a couple of extra hands, like a weird like wrestler. Maybe the extra
1: arms like Sylvester Stallone pumped Dwayne the Rock Johnson arms. It just coming out of its little giraffe shoulders.
4: Maybe maybe it's like a centaur giraffe. Like, a a centaur Yeah, it's got uh, a camello centaur, if you will. It's got... Um, you know, a giraffe body, then a human torso with beefy arms and a glue gun, and then a giraffe head. giraffe neck and head. Oh my God, that's what's, uh,
0: since this comes out of Skybound. What's Kirkman's uh, T Rex uh, superhero guy that has the little tiny motorized hands?
1: Super dinosaur. Super
0: dinosaur. There you go.
1: Clearly, it could be a super dinosaur situation, or it could be. It could you be, know yeah. what it could be? What if it's a telekinetic giraffe, and its hands are just being manipulated with its giant giraffy brain?
4: Well, what if the just, hand is
0: on it on the end of its giant long tongue?
1: Oh, that's
4: even more disturbing. Well, they I mean, go, since it, shoots, inches out, inches since it shoots out, blinding light anyway, they could just be light hands. It could just you know Ooh. have kind of like Green Lanterny hands that shoot light Ooh. out of them. Oh yeah, pure yeah, like photonic
0: energy. What, what's the uh, Green Lantern? It's a it's a solid light projection manifestation or whatever.
1: Yeah, uh, there's, the a, there's a there's a there's an
2: like orange lantern one. <laughs> Um, glomulus the orange lantern is is just a lantern construct that's true that's interesting very
0: true. interesting all right listeners you need to head over to MajorSpoilers.com. cast your vote in the major spoilers Spoil of the week only one of these will advance and we'll have to take on someone else from the box <laughs> next time now again this
1: tapa, this tapa is coming at me on the twitter he's he's doing an end run and coming at me on the twitter to explain to me that giraffes don't have hands Oh, man, this is going to get vicious. This is going to get rough.
0: So beyond the base deck, which is only 35 bucks, and there's a lot of cards and you can play a long time on this. They have a bunch of expansions for this. There's mm-hmm. Super Fight the Red deck, which is R-rated stuff, like adult-oriented stuff. And the oh. expansion decks are only about 15 bucks a piece. There is the orange deck, which, if I remember correctly, is um, nerdy, nerdy uh, themes. Mm-hmm. Then you have the purple deck. Which is all it has about has David Tennant in it. Yes, the purple deck. Uh, these are the scenario decks. So you put the characters into a situation, and who's going to survive that scenario? Which is also interesting.
1: That's like a Fifty Shades of Grey kind of thing. Then it? there
0: is the uh, the pink deck, which is the anime deck. Uh, the blue deck, which is the let's see, oh uh, more it looks locations, like a location, yeah, yeah. A location deck, and then the green deck, which is the uh, G rated deck, the all ages friendly fight deck. Thank um, you
1: for that. Cause I, we,
0: we played, well, I mean, I've read some of the cards, you know, that the base deck isn't, um, isn't like cards against humanity. And that it makes you a horrible person.
1: Uh, <laughs> Stop it. But I played one game.
0: Yes. And, uh, he
1: came all the way from Germany and all he's wanted was one game.
0: Well, there you go. You made some listeners wish come true and listeners. If you want to pick up super fight, uh, click on that Amazon button over at MajorSpoilers.com and you can order them. And again, a little bit comes back our way. Again, I bought this just based on the description of the, of the uh, base set alone. We played this here a couple of weeks ago, just real quick in between a couple of uh, other games that we were playing on a Munchkinland recording night. And everybody who played it just was rolling over how much fun this is. So we'll have another character to pop up in this uh, fight round in upcoming Major Spoilers poll of the week's. Polls of the week. Or Or Polls of the the week. week? Yeah, there you go. Polls of the week. Well, you know, we don't want to get anybody mad at us. Uh, Let's see. Oh, let us talk about our sponsor this week. Our sponsor this week, once again, TweakedAudio.com. You can find all sorts of cool headphones, both in the ear and over the ear, over at TweakedAudio.com. And best of all, when you check out, enter the code MAJOR, M-A-J-O-R, MAJOR at checkout for 33% off the the price. Hey, man, Christmas is just around the, the corner. Other holidays, just around the corner. I'm surprised that our Walmart does not already have Christmas decorations out at the uh, 1st of October. Do not wait till the last minute. Go to tweakedaudio.com. Use the checkout code major and cross uh, 10 or 12 people off your Christmas list right there. Uh, Lumberjanes. 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 Love this series since it first came out. Ashley, how about we have you uh, give us a rundown of Beware the Kitten Holy Trade Paperback, the first volume of the Lumberjanes from Boombox? What, what's it all about?
2: Since, since I reviewed every issue when since it came out every on, the, issue. Yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. the Major Spoilers yeah. website,
0: and I think Matthew and I also talked about it on at least one Major Spoilers yeah, we episode, did, but we did it wasn't—I
1: don't think it
2: was yeah, in you, this. You stole it from me.
1: Oh, was it? Oh, well,
0: sorry.
2: You did it on Dueling yeah. Review. Oh, that there you sad.
1: go. I'm sorry. Don't think of it as stealing. Just think of it as being
4: faster. I call it being King Tigered. Hey. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's fair's fair. Fair is fair.
2: So there's a camp called Lumberjanes, which is an awful lot like Girl Scout camp, except a little bit more neglectful and a little bit more crazy. (laughs) And it's run by a crazy lady named Rosie who wields an axe. There are Five individual girls who belong to this one lumberjane cabin, and they are the craziest, most talented of them all. They reach the spectrum of intellect, abilities, ethnicities, and sexual orientations, even at the tender age of 12, and they are somehow tasked with fighting off a dark spiritual evil that is invading their camp. Dun, dun, dun.
0: And, uh, I mean, we don't even have to have a big buildup because in the first uh, issue they're fighting three-eyed foxes that tell tell them to beware the kitten holy yeah and it just gets even more strange from there
2: it does it's wonderful though it's i feel it's kind of like welcome to nightmare like the weird spiritual or i say spiritual i don't mean like god i mean like supernatural right right um right. uh elements really Don't feel out of place in this world, especially with a lot of the throwaway dialogue that you get from these characters. You feel like, oh, it's kind of totally normal that Mm -hmm. something like that would happen or a dinosaur would show up for no reason.
0: Yeah, yeah. I looked at it more like what if Gravity Falls was not a Disney show? Exactly. So but it
2: was drawn to look more like Adventure Time.
0: Yes. Yes. There you go. Disney's uh, Gravity Falls meets Adventure Time. Uh, but without all the uh, death and destruction from above. With ladies. Yes. Uh, oh. So we have uh, several characters. We have Joe, April, Mal, Molly, and Ripley. I love it. Uh, and then they are joined kind of at the end um, of this four issue series by Jen, who is their counselor.
2: Right. And, and, and Jen wants nothing more to be a
1: good counselor. <laughs> right. Right. Jen wants to be not insane. Yes. There's something frightening about these children.
0: Do you all have a favorite favorite Lumberjane character?
2: Yes. Who is yeah. yours? My favorite Lumberjane character is Ripley because she's like really dumb but really earnest <laughs> and uh, she'll do she'll be the first one who will um just throw herself recklessly into danger. Mm-hmm. Like she's she's I guess maybe dumb isn't the right word but she's very literal. Like everything that's happening right now right in front of her is the most important thing. Um, but she's totally willing to sacrifice herself to make sure that she deals with the scary thing and nobody else has to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And she has the best one-liners.
0: Oh, she, her, hers are the best. Just like when she's attacking and she's just like jumping out of the trees and uh, and getting ready to, to biff them. And then it, it's just. <laughs> biff. It, it Yeah, biff, baff, boof, poff. Matthew, who's your favorite? April. Okay, April. how come? April.
1: Because April is the resourceful one and she seems kind of quiet and book learning. And then she attacks a dragon with a hair scrunchie. Yes. And she's when the they,
2: strongest. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: She, well, it's all about leverage. She right. <laughs> arm wrestles a stone statue to, uh, well, actually not, not just a stalemate. She rips his frickin' arm off and then goes,
3: bye. Yeah.
1: I love her. She, she kind of reminds me of my own kid, which is terrifying. Um, And that that may be the main reason that I, I look at her, because she does this thing where she'll be sitting and sitting and sitting and the others will be like, oh, my God, what are we doing? She's like, hey, I got an idea.
0: Right. Right. And then the other. Well, Rodrigo, who's your who's your favorite character?
4: Uh, mine's probably Joe. How come? She's just got all the knowledge. She's just mm-hmm. got it all figured out from the beginning, man. Mm-hmm.
0: And she's probably she probably the oldest one.
2: She's, she's the tallest. tallest. Yeah. I think they're all <laughs>
4: about the same age.
1: She's the one who looks kind of like a, a leadership presence because she's the tallest though.
3: Mhm. Yeah.
0: I, what I like about this, and, and unfortunately, and this is probably my biggest complaint about this first volume, is we don't get a complete story. This is only four issues. So what we end up with is we end up with the wolves attacking. And as they're all being chased away, uh, they're given this warning about beware the the kitten uh, holy. And then they go down a river rafting and they get attacked by a sea serpent. And they uh, then um, find this uh, tunnel underground where they have to discover the secret tower and find something there.
2: Well, I think originally it was only supposed to be six issues long, Mm -hmm. six or eight. So it Mm -hmm. seems weird that they broke it up at four. Right. Also because the fourth issue came out like last October, like almost a year ago. And then the trade didn't come out until April, Mm -hmm. which
0: was super weird. And and the other thing was, this was a popular series from like page Page one.
1: one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember people tweeting about this the day that it came out and I had not heard of it. Because I was out of the previews loop, but everybody in my weird comics Twitter was like, This is amazing, this is killer. Mm-hmm. So I went and, and read it immediately.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I'm really sort of fine with the incomplete story, and I think of it maybe as that that Scott Pilgrim model of mm-hmm. this is an easy to read chunk. It's hundred and twenty odd pages, I think, and about hundred and ten of those are story story. You're yeah, talking
0: about the the Lumberjane manual.
1: Right. But if you, if you actually look at this, it's a really manageable bit of reading. If you'd gone six issues, we'd be pushing 175 pages. And I think it might have been – if you look at this as something that is actually aimed at younger readers, mm-hmm. it might have been a little more daunting to people to have a book get that thick and also that expensive. I mean we're looking at $15 for four issues of comics, which is pretty reasonable – this is, I mean, this is a size and, and amount of reading that I would be perfectly fine handing to my 11 year old.
0: Rodrigo, why do you think this, this series came out of the gate being so popular and has, has really captured a lot of people's attention?
4: Uh, I think there's a few reasons. Um, first off, it does have a very positive, um, kind of, um, I guess, not message necessarily, but a very positive attitude about everything, right? It's a comic about girls going out, exploring, having fun, being friends. You know, there's, like, nothing that is necessarily... There's nothing dark and tortured about this comic. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's darkness, but it's interesting. There are mysteries and there's all that stuff. But it's not what we've been seeing in a lot of comics for a long time, which is, you know solo tortured protagonists trying to, you know, put their life back together or something like that. Right. You can, there's plenty of mystery and there's plenty interesting. Uh, the other thing is that um, kind of the individual creators had a following already. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So um, I know uh, her, what's her name? Noelle Stevenson, is that her name? Yes, mm-hmm.
2: she had a webcomic.
4: Right, she had a webcomic for a long time, which is also available now in... Uh, you know to buy in individual issues or in a trade or something um so and these characters she designed them um or her and her writers and the other writers designed them so they look like her style so people that were already into her style made an easy transition from you know mnemona into lumberjanes Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh ashley do you want to add anything onto that no. About the success and popularity, and and what what makes well, so what makes this story just work really well beyond just the the popularity of the the creators?
2: I mean, it's funny. That's what a lot of it is. It's very snappy. The story is not like, it's not that it's not wholly original, but it's not breaking any new ground. You know, we've seen kids, you know, we named a bunch of stuff earlier. We've seen people get into spooky situations. We've seen mythology come to life at camp. But I think it's because uh it's written by by two girls who are very clever, who have employed a lot of funny jokes. There's a ton of feminist references in there, which, of course, speaks to the 20-year-old audience that's going to be reading it. But it also, um as... Matthew said earlier, it kind of has that appeal where you can give it to an actual child and it's a perfectly good thing for them to read. I think also because Boom marketed it like crazy. Oh, yeah, they did. In previews. So we mm-hmm. all knew to order it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just think because it's fun and it feels very earnest. Like, um, Ripley in her naivete does feel like she could be a real person. You know, we all knew people like that or who had aspects like these characters in our childhoods. Mm -hmm. I think that's another reason. And plus, you know, feminism is like totally rad right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I just like the fact that all of the characters, especially when it's, I think it's issue three, when they get down or maybe it's issue two, when they go down into the uh, tunnel Mm -hmm. uh, and they're, they have to each solve these riddles or they each have to perform a task or something like that, where every single one of them has a specialty and yeah, they though, all have a use. Yes, and even though one of them towards the end is like, "Well, I don't really have a use here. I'm kind of uh, worthless." And then finally, she's the one that solves oh, the Molly. anagram that gets them out. And it's like, ah, that's so awesome that everybody has has their own purpose in in the story, which works well. And they're not just a character standing around doing nothing. The other thing that I like is that everything that it's happening, all the underlying messages, uh, topics, et cetera, are just treated as normal. It's not like, oh, what does this mean that they've kissed and now they're blushing? Oh, you know, they don't, they just, everything is normal. Everything is yeah. cool. Don't make a big deal out of it, but it's also serving this bigger message, uh, overall.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not treated like it's this, oh, look, we've, we've done something very progressive. Aren't right. we clever? Right.
0: And, and I just, think that's, I, I I find that approach to these kinds of topics really, really refreshing and appreciated.
1: yeah, and that's something that I really like about it is when I was growing up, I read something similar to this in prose form. It was called the Mad Scientist Club. Mm, it was mm-hmm. a group of group of you know young boys who went around and did stuff and had adventures. And I really like the fact that this feels very familiar to that, but the gender swap, while important to the book, isn't the most important thing in the book. It's an all pretty much an all female cast. The boys that do show up are possessed by evil. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> and I really, I really like that. I like the fact that the all girl cast, you know, is not treated as something unusual. It's here's a group of female characters and they're going to go off and they're going to have adventures and it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be fun. And it's going to be approachable as a 44 year old man. As it would have been to, you know, a a 14-year-old kid. And I Mm -hmm. think that the really important, the really impressive bit about all of this is I've read a lot of comics, a lot of comics. And generally when you read a comic, it's like five guys and one girl. Right. You get your Storm in your X-Men and that's pretty much all you get. And that does, to some degree, limit what you're doing with your stories. It puts you in a thought process of these are the type of stories that you have to tell. And when you address that female character, it's usually as the one weird character or the one character who's different than the others that doesn't happen here. And that's amazing
4: to me. That's Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you guys think of, of the art in this Rodrigo? Let's start with you.
4: I like it. Um, I think that there, like, it's very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool. Um, you know, it, it's, it handles, you know, kids mm-hmm. being kids and smiling and laughing and jumping around. And it also handles, you know, big, uh, rock creatures and hipster, Yeti and, you know, all <laughs> yes. kinds of like uh, sea <laughs> serpents yeah. and things like that. And it handles it equally well. And it is that kind of like, um, more loose, more um, kind of iconic style that allows them to walk that line, right? Any, mm-hmm. if, if things were more like photorealistic, you would have to either render the crap out of a three-eyed eagle or you can go with this or, or you know, have it be very jarring. But with this style, it really allows you to stretch into that. Uh, Matthew.
1: It's almost impressionistic, um, what she can do with the art. And that's what makes it really work. Because if you look at the characters from panel to panel, there is a little bit of the cartoon squash and stretch in play that you'd see in, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, a Donald Duck uh, book from the 50s, which also, by the way, pretty amazing stuff. Most people don't think about it. When you look at these characters, they are, they are animation-inspired, especially in terms of the coloring, But then they'll do things that you can clearly only get away with in a comic book setting. And I really love the way the facial expressions, you know, because I'm a huge sucker for a good facial expression. I love the facial expressions. I love when April gets that smartass look on her face. And I love the terror in Ripley's face like every third page. but With the
2: giant eyes.
1: Yeah, it's it's really great and it, it it kind of draws on those cartoony aspects that we expect. You know, and it, there are people who say, "Well, manga is terrible and this is There's not really a manga influence, but I can definitely feel, you know, something going on in here that reminds me of the manga comics that I read when I was younger. Especially when it comes to the 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 backgrounds versus the main characters, because the backgrounds are always really awesomely detailed, mm-hmm. full of of design work, and even you know the point where they're just running through a forest, you can clearly understand where the characters are, where they're going, where they've been. You don't ever have those moments of cheating that you sometimes get with an inexperienced artist, and I right. really appreciate that.
0: I like that. I like that everything just kind of flows and is. Even though there's angles here, everything's kind of like a—I um, don't want to say a noodle, but. I think char- it's a
2: pretty apt comparison, actually. Yeah, because the characters kind of
0: bend and flow, yet they keep their proportions correct. Uh, but I just kind of like that it's it's noodly. Yeah, I mean uh, that's not a put down, but it's okay. it just kind of flows and bends that way.
1: That's that squash and stretch I was talking about earlier. There, it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's an animation. Term,
0: not right? not 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 quite, but oh. it's in that area.
1: You're going to correct me. Yes,
0: now. I will. Oh. Ashley, uh, thoughts on the art?
2: Uh, I didn't like it initially when I first read it, and that's, I think it's because I immediately made the Adventure Time comparison, mm, and mm-hmm. Adventure Time is, like, I think it's great, but it's not my jam the way it feels like it's everybody else's jam. Right. Um, but I think the more I read it, and the more, like, it's because it's the squash and whatever other verb Matthew used. Yeah,
0: squash and stretch.
2: Stretch. Sure. Um, I think Brooke Allen employs it very cleverly, mm-hmm. and so I, I really came to like it, and I think impressionistic is a really, really great way to describe it because it's telling you so much more than the characters dealing with whatever drama they are in that moment. It mm-hmm. uh, keys you into like, a lot of their emotional state, which again, when you're dealing with younger characters, you're dealing with kids who are as verbose as these uh, girls are, I think it it feeds the storytelling more than anything. But if you're not an animation person, I see how the style might turn you off. But I think it's worth sticking yeah, yeah. through.
0: I, th- I think. Um, I think I initially... Was drawn to the art style because um, it's very similar to what Scott Johnson's daughter Carter Johnson's style is like. Mm-hmm. And if you look at like the Zach on film uh, stuff that she had done in the past or even the Dueling Review art that she's done for us, I see a lot of similarities between the art here and, and what she does. So I, I get a kick out of it that way. Um, what would you guys uh, – what didn't you like about this this book? Matthew?
1: I don't know that I – didn't like anything i i mean story-wise i feel like the breaking point makes sense as an individual chapter Mm -hmm. and we've you know we've gone over this before in the why can't we have instead of trade paperbacks larger collection books that have their own breaking points and this is an example of how that could work with an american story i think maybe the only thing that i didn't like and, you know, it's a minor complaint is we we talk about that Jim Shooter storytelling device where everybody walks on panel and introduces himself mm-hmm. or herself. And there are points in, in uh, issue two and three of this collection where I have to remember who's Mal and who's Molly. Right. And I have to, you know, remind myself because, you know, some characters – you get the impression of who they are, you understand who they are, and you're like, wait, was that Ashley or was that Rodrigo talking? You have that moment Does of Does that happen future. often? No, that never More happens. often than you'd think. I guess. <laughs> I was making fun of Stephen for calling us all Rodrigo, but that's neither here nor there. I, there are moments in the story, and part of that is my comprehension and maybe the speed at which I read it the first time. But... I think that that's actually a minor complaint. I feel like each one of these issues stands on their own, and together they stand as a very strong chapter for me.
0: Mm. Good. Rodrigo? It's- oh, no, no, no. I meant the other Rodrigo.
1: Oh. No. Well. Girl Rodrigo. No. Go,
0: go ahead, Rodrigo. <laughs> Canadian Rodrigo. Rodrigo? Yes, Canadian Rodrigo.
1: <laughs> I
4: believe that's actually Rodrigue A. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, Rodrigo, go ahead.
4: Um. It... Weirds me out that April is the only human being with eyeballs. <laughs> Fair You're enough.
1: right. That's so true. Though. Oh my god, she is.
4: And like, and they're huge too. Like she has giant eyes. Yeah, she's and it's got like, like big Disney princess eyes. And this is like, it's so weird because she's the only one. And I don't know if later on they're gonna have an explanation. Maybe she's a space alien. Um, I don't know, but it's super weird. It's really weird to have one character that breaks the, mm-hmm. the kind of like the, 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 the schematics of everything else. Because like specifically, these are kind of pointy elbowed, pointy finger long, like kind of soft, like lines dotty eye people everybody is and then you have like this one person who looks like she stumbled in from a different cartoon well but But she uh, she also has superhuman strength
1: well
0: to me she's also she's also the princess type
4: Sure. I mean, you can, but that's the thing is like, it really forces you to justify it. It's Mm -hmm. like. Right. You have to think about why that is. When, when I was looking through it, it's like my first thought is like, oh, well, she must be the main character, but she's really not. Right. Like basically everybody, everybody gets a little bit of time, you know, even in these four issues, everybody gets some time. It's not about her. Um, so it's just super weird to me, just so weird that she's the only human that has who's, you know, you can see her, I don't know, Sclera. She's a alien. <laughs> wait man.
0: until, wait until her third eye opens. Um, uh, Ashley, what, what, what uh, kind of, is there anything here that turns you off or that you would like to see done differently?
2: Um, I guess the only thing that I would say is that it, it reads very quickly mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of words on the page. They're not terribly verbose until there's inevitably the point where they have to explain what's going on to some other character in the penultimate issue. They've done it in both arcs now. Right. And the, the penultimate issue is always very wordy. Um, not necessarily a problem for this trade, but it, I mean, it's a trade you could probably read in an hour if you wanted to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, and that's – I guess that's my complaint is there's not enough of it.
1: I oh, want more comic. <laughs> so my name's the, Ashley. I'm a millennial. I this, want everything now.
0: The series is up to I think issue 18 as of this week. Yes. Really? And it's so popular 20th Century Fox is actually developing a live action uh, version of this of this book, of this series, huh. which kind of concerns me I guess.
2: Nimona as well.
0: Why is yeah. that?
2: Her well, – uh, her other comic.
0: Yeah. The, the reason why it concerns me is – I think this is actually a story that would work better as an animated movie mm. just because I, of the I unique agree. art style. And when you try to say, oh, you know, who should we cast to play uh, Ripley or who should we cast to play Maul? I mean,
2: um, Ashley Robinson, Ashley Victoria Robinson. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, you know, th- that one's an obvious one. But, you know, I think uh, I don't know. It just it. I just would. I think I'd rather see this as a yeah. as an
1: animated movie. I would be worried. And mark my words as of now, if they do a live-action adaptation, they're going to age them up.
2: It yeah, they'll 16. all be 16 so that all 16, of the smooching is okay.
1: Well, and also so that they can cast 24-year-olds. Yep. But I, I
0: – Oh, so like Candace Patton as Jen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Okay.
1: Well, here's my thing. I think that any adaptation of this is going to disappoint you if you're really into this book. Mm-hmm. Because I I think that part of the appeal of this book is the fact that it's a comic and it's told effectively and very artistically within the framework and the fabric of comics. It's like when they made that Watchmen movie and they made the huge change to the the climactic moments of the film because it no longer worked when you took it out of that frame by frame with a gutter in between panel progression – you're gonna get something entirely different, whether it's a Lumberjanes animated series or a Lumberjanes live action series from an adaptation. And I think that I would be disappointed if they didn't look right. Yeah. And by right, I mean you cannot get human beings who look like these girls. Right, exactly. Again, this is not this yeah, is doesn't, not a photo style. Yeah. And if you cast a bunch of 20 year olds, you you know, if you cast Jennifer Lawrence equivalents as these supposedly teenage girls, I think it's going to change the nature of the work. It's going to change the nature of the book. And it's, you're going to take
2: away a lot of the innocence.
1: Yeah. I think that if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it like 12 year olds, you run the risk of getting into Disney live action acting territory where the, your, your skill as an actor is entirely defined on how loudly you can enter a room. Or they're going to age them up, and it's going to change the nature of the story and the nature of the characters enough to where it'll be an entirely different beast. So,
0: Rodrigo, do you have any thoughts on, on the live-action adaptation?
4: I think if they kind of double down on it, and they're like, okay, we're going to shoot three movies, we're going to cast like – A bunch of twelve-year-olds, and then they shoot them as quickly as possible. They can probably do it. Any amount that you wait, they're not going to be twelve anymore. Yeah, and
0: that's and again, that's probably why you go for actors and actresses that are a little bit older because they're not going to hit puberty and skyrocket up five feet like poor Bruce Wayne does in Gotham. Yeah. You get somebody
1: who's 23 and who can play at 13, like, you know, the kids from Dawson's Creek or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of, all of the Brady. Yeah. Bunch
0: so, there. and I don't know. And I also in concern that they, this feels like a movie that should be cast with, um, not well-known actresses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling it's like, this would be a great Selena Gomez vehicle. <laughs> that's what I'm that's what I'm
1: concerned well, about. And then I also have concerns about the ability of Hollywood, as we know it, to translate <laughs> these themes and characters without changing everything to mm-hmm. fit the, the, you know, the archetypical boxes that you see from female characters in Hollywood movies. basically.
0: And, and here's the other kind of issue that I have. Uh, the, the rap reports that the comic will be adapted by Will uh, Widger or Wiger. I really
2: uh, thought you were gonna say Will Wheaton for a I'm be like
0: No, no, no. That,
1: that would be interesting.
0: But I'm I'm somewhat disappointed that in a case like this, that the comic creators aren't given that first crack at doing a draft <laughs> of this. I mean
2: me. Yeah, um, but you can here's the thing about that, because everyone freaked out about the fact that a man was gonna be adapting this. Yeah. If that had been important to Noelle Stevenson and, and uh the creators, mm-hmm. you can put that in your contract.
0: Yeah, that's true.
2: So You know, they let that go either because they didn't know or because they were pressured into it, but they had the opportunity to stand up for that and Mm -hmm. they didn't.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting.
1: I don't necessarily know that I would be worried about a man writing the treatment. I think I would be worried about someone entrenched in Hollywood and the expectations of a Hollywood movie. Writing the treatment. Well, because I guess I think that's where your misogyny is going to come sure. from if it's going mm. to come from anywhere.
0: Well, my concern isn't that it's a man doing it. It's that, you know, the creators, I kind of wish they would have at least yeah. said, hey, how about you guys take a first pass at this? And then if it needs to be cleaned up or if we need to do a rewrite, we but can hire somebody else to people. do that. But they're, eh, well, they're not movie too. people. I don't
1: know if you've listened to our other podcast. And that's two drafts instead of on one. Film. Um, where uh, the, the moderator, his name is Steven too. He, re- he repeatedly <laughs> tells oh, I know. us.
0: Yeah. You want to find the best know, person for the job.
1: It's about, it's about money. It's about what you know, and it's about being able to work within that Hollywood framework. You should really talk to that other Stephen because he knows his stuff, brother.
0: Yeah. He probably also says <laughs> bite me a lot to the, uh, th- that does. one guy that runs There's his mouth There's Matthew too on long. that
1: show who's yeah. a total butt face yep,
0: yep. to him. So here's, here's yeah. the good news. Here's the good news, everybody, as we wrap it up. Um, Uh, Boom Studios has just announced that Lumberjanes, uh, the max edition will uh, it's a hardcover volume that's coming out. It will collect all eight issues of uh, of the series, uh, which was supposed to be the initial first run. And the price isn't too bad. It's going to be, I think, thirty nine ninety five and it's going to yeah thirty nine ninety nine. Sorry. And it's going to arrive in comic shops on November 18th. So if you're looking for a great gift for someone, um, maybe even a young comic reader, I would say think about the Lumberjanes: The Max Edition as maybe a great Christmas gift for somebody. So you I'm giving this a cover. Yeah, it's a hard cover. Yeah. Oh, two hundred and seventy.
1: Get a present. Two
0: hundred and seventy-two pages full cover arrives in comic shops on uh, November nineteenth and bookstores on November twenty-fourth, just in time for Black Friday. Or if Passing you're, uh, or if you're back. using that Amazon link at Major Spoilers, you could get it there too, and maybe even get a little bit of a discount, Matthew. What? Um Yep. So uh, good news there. And so I'm giving Lumberjanes a thumbs up and I say uh, it's highly recommended from me. Rodrigo.
4: Yeah, definitely track it down. Check it out. There's there's a lot to approach this from. You can if you like camp fire stories, this is great. If you like animation, this is great. Um, if you uh, cry for the days when it wasn't all about just punching people super hard in comics, this is great, too. And Matthew.
1: Well, I don't know if I missed the days where people were punching super hard, but I love the fact that this book has a a story and a, not like a story that says, hey, you know what happened behind the scenes of Avengers number 357, but an actual story that unfolds in a way that's natural. It has a great set of characters, some of them archetypical, some of them not which is wonderful and i love the fact you know the, the head of the camp has an axe and does some sort of weird taxidermy in her office so i'm all on board with a weird book with an interesting cast and a really cool story
0: and uh last but not least ashley your thoughts on this on this series
2: i think it's great i think it's super cute i think it speaks well to the treatment of women which is something that we're so supposed to be working toward and um yeah, I think go pick it up.
4: Excellent, Rodrigo. Where can people find you? Um, I am at Fearsome Critter on Twitter. All right, and Matthew,
1: I am at Mighty King Cobra and occasionally at the McDonald's at Seventeenth and Gage in Topeka.
0: Okay, and uh, Ashley.
2: I am at Ashley V. Robinson. And
0: she
1: doesn't I'll, go to McDonald's.
0: Also, don't I forget. I can.
2: I have them on a diet. <laughs> there you go.
0: Also, don't forget to check out Ashley's uh, other podcast that she does with Jason Inman called uh, The uh, Geek History Lesson and the very popular web series, the uh, Red Shirt Diaries. of
2: oh, so they should be found on Majorspoilers.com. Yep,
0: Bye. they are all there. And thank you, listeners, for being a part of the Major Spoilers experience. We love each and every one of you. Yes, even you. Uh, we're going to be back next week to take a look at the Iron Fist epic collection, The Fury of Iron Fist. Why? Because we know that you love comics. We do, too. We'll talk with you next time.
3: what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a gang Santo throwing soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Wow, 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 What a major spoiler! This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.